All right, this recording is going to be a little bit different than our normal Sunday morning sermon recording. Uh, the main difference is that I'm recording it on a Monday. Uh, we had some technical difficulties with the uh, sermon recording on Sunday, uh, but since it was our, our child dedication and it was also the launching of a new ministry called Home Point at Northwest, uh, this is kind of going to be a big thing for our congregation going forward. I wanted to go ahead and, and re-record this sermon and uh, catch you up on what you may have missed if you're interested or if you wanted to kind of pass this along to someone else that might benefit from it. Uh, but I wanted you to know that that's what was going on uh, so that if I made you know a really good joke and no one laughed, it's not because I'm not funny, it's because there's no one here in the room. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen a video. It's available on YouTube if you wanted to go watch it. It's a video. You can find it under Viewfinder from Right Now Media. And this video starts out with this little boy, maybe seven or eight years old, and he's got one of those old toy viewfinders that you would hold up and you'd click the button and it would cycle through these different images. Except that the video imagines that this viewfinder is functioning like a camera. Whereas the boy wanders through his house and he sees his parents interacting with his brother and his sister, uh, and even with him, uh, you see him click the picture as if to save it. And that that moment would somehow be impressed on his memory in a way that would forever uh, influence him and shape him. Uh, and one of the photos is just a dad uh, really giving some kind of wisdom and comfort to a teenage son. Uh, another one is the mom consoling a daughter after she's gone through some uh, adolescent difficulty. And then there's this other moment where the dad is playing with the young boy and he's, he's got him on his feet up in the air laying on the living room floor. And, and you just remember all of these times in your own childhood or maybe in, if you're a parent in the childhood of your kids, that you had these precious little moments uh, that seemed uh, just insignificant at the time. Uh, but in hindsight, you realize that it's a hundred and a thousand and a million of those little moments that are the kinds of things that ultimately shape your children into who they become. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, uh, verses 4 through 9, are our main text for the day, has a similar idea. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Both the video viewfinder and the text from Deuteronomy 6 remind us of something that we so often forget. That, that God has called us to impress faith on our children in big moments, but especially often in the littlest moments. That, that it's to happen when we're walking along the road and when we sit at home, when you lie down and when you get up. And, and there's this idea that in every single moment, whether you're riding in the car, whether you're going somewhere uh, with your kids, whether you've arrived somewhere, whether you're just sitting at home, you have an opportunity in every moment to impress faith on, on your children. And as we think about what it means uh, to, to pass faith on to our kids, uh, I think there's some questions that we've got to answer today. Uh, we've got to answer the question, if your kid grows up hearing that God loves them like a parent, that God loves them like a father, and you're their parent, and you are their frame of reference for the kind of parental love that God tells us he has for each one of us, is that good news to your kids? 
If your kids learn that God loves them like a parent, and you have demonstrated parental love to them throughout their life, is it good news to them that God loves them like a parent? The second question I think that we've got to ask is this. If your kid says to you, when I grow up, I want to have a faith like my mom and dad, is that good news? Can you imagine if your kid comes up to you and says, Mom, when I grow up, I want to have a faith like you do. And all of a sudden you stop and you think, No, I, I want so much more for you. Or do you think to yourself, Oh man, son, daughter, that is what I want for you too. It's for you to have the faith that I have. Faith in Jesus as I walk and follow Him as His disciple. And, and as you walk and follow me as I follow Him. That's what I want for you. But we've got to ask, the question. And the other question it kind of has to do with the idea, uh, you know, a life insurance salesman will tell you that one of the greatest gifts that you can leave your children when you die is financial security. It's financial security. I, I think it's the most uh, powerful line that a, a life insurance salesman has is they tell you when you die, do you want your kids to be left in need? And the greatest gift that you can give them is not having to worry about money or who's going to provide for them or anything else. But let me tell you this, uh, I just spent the last week with a family, uh, a family whose mother had passed away, and I can tell you right now that the greatest gift that she gave them was that when they were at her funeral, her adult children were at her funeral, that they had full confidence and assurance that she was in heaven with Jesus Christ. It was the greatest gift. They, they didn't care if, if she left them a house. They didn't care if she left them some amount of retirement savings or anything else. What brought them comfort was knowing where she was. They didn't have to wonder. They didn't have to question. And not only did they have confidence in where she was, they had full faith, confidence, and assurance that because of the faith that she had, faith that she had passed on to them, they had full confidence that the funeral was not goodbye. That this funeral, this memorial service, all of the, the things that were going into that week was see you later. But not only were they confident in where she was, but they were confident that they would meet her there later because of the generational faith in Jesus Christ that had been part of this family's tradition, part of their legacy, part of their heritage. And so the question that I want to ask today, and this is the third one that we've got to ask when we talk about passing faith to the next generation, is this. Have you given your kids the gift of that confidence? Because if you haven't, I think we've really got to evaluate what we're doing in terms of impressing faith upon our children. And I think one of the challenges that happens when we think about impressing faith on our children is we always think about the big moments. We think of parenting in moments like the first day of school, when you get your child together and, and you put them in a backpack that looks bigger than they are and you get them in these clothes that will never look that clean again and, and you get them and you take the photo at the, outside the front door and you send them off and you're terrified of everything that's about to happen and, and you think about that when you think about being a parent. You think about graduation when they look back at all they've accomplished and as you dream about all that lies ahead. You think about the times that you have the talk with them, and parents are terrified of it, but so are probably many young people. You think about the time that they got dumped or that a friend uh, hurt them or injured them, and, and you helped them through it. 
You think about when you taught them to drive, pumping that passenger side foot brake while looking out the windshield through, through fingers of absolute terror and lack of control. You know, the big moments are what we often think of. But the reality is that your kids aren't really shaped by the big moments. A lot of times it's the little moments that, that we don't even remember that tend to make the biggest impact on us over our lives. It's the thousands of hours that you spend in the car talking to your kids. Uh, I know for me personally uh, that some of the most valuable and important meaningful conversations I've ever had with my kids have happened uh, in the rearview mirror where we've had time to, to get rid of all of the distractions in life except of course for my driving uh, and talk about things, connect over things, uh, to spend time with one another. They're shaped uh, by the hundreds of prayers every year where you join with them or they join with you and you go to God together and you're not only praying to God about what you care about the most and sharing that, but you're also discipling them and letting them disciple you in, in this exercise of faith, this going before God. They're shaped by the millions of times that you encourage them and remind them of the love uh, that you have for them, telling them that, that, that they're good enough, smart enough, that they're going to do the things that need to be done, uh, that you believe in them and that God believes in them, and they're shaped by that. They're shaped by the times you showed up when it wasn't convenient or easy or maybe even expected, but they learned that you loved them and that you would never overlook them. And when we think about these little moments, uh, we go back to that video that I talked about, the viewfinder video with the kid who's walking around and taking these snapshots of family life. Now, one of the ones uh, that I liked the most uh, was this moment where the little boy squeezes his toothpaste all over the sink and the dad comes in and it's a mess and you, know, you can't put toothpaste back in the tube and, uh, and the dad is so angry. And yet in the next moment, the, the memory that the boy has is of the dad forgiving him and consoling him and wrapping him in his arms and consoling him uh, on the stairway of their home. That matters. It matters, and it begins to make a difference in our kids' lives. And, and in Deuteronomy 6, it reinforces the same thing, that, that it's in the moments when you're walking along the road, when you're sitting at home, when you're getting up, when you're getting down at meals, all of these little opportunities are the times when you have an opportunity while walking, resting, sitting, to form the heart, the strength, and the soul of your child to fall in love with their Creator God. To love God with all their heart, strength, and soul. And the unfortunate reality in the world that we live in today is that the church is not doing a great job of passing faith to the next generation. You know, I could parade a bunch of research and statistics about how young people are leaving the church when they become adults at rates that we've never seen in the United States before. Uh, that when teenagers who are faithful in youth group, faithful in children's ministry, uh, go to college and become adults and start their own families, they're not coming back to church. But the reality is that you don't need the research and the statistics to convince you. You already know this. And the reason that you know it is because you know the name of someone in your family that's left the church. You know the name of someone that, that you love 
who grew up going to church and who was very faithful and maybe went on mission trips and church camp and everything else. And now, while you're here on Sunday morning listening to this sermon, they're at home doing something else because they no longer believe in God or in observance of Christian practice or attending church. You pray about these people. So I don't have to tell you that we're losing people. You know their names. And the thing is that I don't actually think it's the church's fault. In America today, the church is spending more money on children and youth programs, professionals, resources, uh, all kinds of research and everything else that we can think of than we ever have before. And in spite of all of the programming and all the money and all the effort, it's not making a difference. It's not making a difference. So what is it that's at the heart of this problem that we have in the church today? And I'll tell you, here's what I think it is. In in the United States, we've become a service economy. I don't change my oil uh, because I have no idea how to. I've seen oil change kits at at Walmart before, and they've got two ramps and some kind of a funnel thing that looks like the thing that I sometimes use in the kitchen to get stuff into the container I need it in. Now, I don't know how in the world that makes the engine on my car work, so I go to Hibden. But in the world we live in today, we're constantly thinking about how we can hire the best and the brightest to do the things that I don't want to, don't know how to, or would just rather not do. Uh, I don't uh, sew my own clothes. I don't grow my own food. I'm a busy person, and if I need something done right, and if I need something done well, I'm going to hire the best person I can to get it done. So when it comes to making sure that my kids are good at sports or good at extracurricular activities, I'm going to get them the best coaches, best trainers, best opportunities, and best teachers that I possibly can because I care about them, right? And when it comes to making sure that my children grow up to be faithful, I'm going to make sure that they have a church with great children and youth ministry programs, great classes, and great ministers, the best that I can find. Now here's the problem with that. God designed parents to be the primary disciple makers of their children and the best ministers in the world can only be a good supplement or a good substitute. Let me say that again. The best ministers in the world are at best a good supplement and at worst a poor substitute for parents who are the primary disciple makers of their children. We live in a world where the most active youth and children's programs around get between two to four contact hours with kids in any given week. Two to four hours. And on the one hand, you might think, actually, that's not bad, unless you think about how many hours that YouTube, Netflix, friends, teachers, dozens of other things get in the lives of our children. How can we help them to conform to Jesus Christ and not to the world when the world gets so many more opportunities to influence our children than we ever do for Jesus? We're giving up. We're surrendering our influence to the world. And the most frightening part of all is that recent research has shown that for families that regularly attend church services, now a lot of times with Christian research, Uh, what you get is this idea, someone say, Christians believe this or believe that, and this percentage do, and you think, yeah, but those are probably the Christians that don't bother going to church on Sunday. Yeah, that's probably the Christians that are only halfway committed. This survey is of families that regularly attend church with their children. Of those families, 
recent research has shown that less than 10% will talk about faith in the home during the week outside of a prayer at meals. Of families that go to church every week, less than 10% will have a conversation about faith, about Jesus, about the Bible, about what any of that means to, to my life and my kids' lives during the week outside of prayers at meals. We're giving up. We're not even showing up to make a difference. We're outsourcing or forfeiting whatever influence that parents should be having on their kids. And it's not a new problem. This is a generational problem where the passing of faith to kids has been outsourced or forfeited by our parents and sometimes by their parents and at times their parents before them. Not to mention families that are new to the faith or converts that have never had, had faith at home modeled and they don't know how to do it. But we're talking about families that are multi-generational Christian families where we've become so accustomed to allowing the church and programs and youth ministry and children's ministry to do the discipleship work of children that we've lost the ability to even say, you know, I need to start doing what my parents used to do because our parents didn't do it. So today when we tell families and parents that you need to pass faith to your kids, not only are we competing with dozens of other influences and activities, but we need to equip and empower and teach our parents to do something that their parents may not have modeled or maybe modeled in a way that they don't want to do in their home. This comes up a lot that they say, yeah, my parents did faith at home, but it was in a way that was destructive, not constructive. Faith was was pushed on me, not impressed on me. And so there's a reluctance to do it, or there's a lack of knowledge how to do it. And so at Northwest uh, Church of Christ, we're going to be this month stepping in and saying, we're not going to accept the status quo of parents outsourcing or forfeiting or giving up our influence to the world or anybody else. We are going to unashamedly declare that God intends for families to be little communities shaped by the gospel, demonstrating the gospel, and that these family units are the location where God intends for married parents to pass their faith in Jesus Christ to their children. Now, I do need to say that, that if you're hearing me say that God can only use married people with 2.3 kids to live out and spread the gospel, because isn't that the... That's the average American dream, right? Two married people and 2.3 uh, children. Uh, except at Northwest, of course, where we all have something like 4.8 children. Because I think there's something in the water here. Uh, listen, if you feel like I'm saying that God can only use traditional families, I want to be very clear. God has used, is using, and will use people in every situation of life to do His work. In fact, there's a lot of times God takes great joy in choosing unlikely heroes and underdogs. Uh, take, for example, Jephthah. One of the judges and military men of Israel had a single mom. There's Timothy, uh, Paul's greatest protege. His greatest spiritual influence was actually his grandmother. Paul encourages single Christians to stay that way, to focus on spreading the gospel. And he says, look, all things being equal, here's my advice. It's not from God, it's from me. But if you can stay single, you're going to have more time for mission work and less time that you have to do dishes. He says, look, just take advantage of the time and the focus that you can give to the kingdom of God. Stay single. There's a place for single people in the kingdom of God. We often forget that today. Moses 
was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Joseph raised Jesus even though Jesus wasn't his biological son. Hannah dedicated her son Samuel to the church. Samuel was raised at the, the temple uh, by, the, by the priest, raised him up, dedicated him to God. Samuel grew up serving God, became a special uh, judge and leader in Israel's history, significant as the kingmaker. Uh, but his mom gave him to the church, uh, the temple, the church of his day, uh, to be raised by God's people as a sign of dedication. Listen, if you're in a situation where your family is struggling to have children, then you can probably relate to half the families in Genesis who struggle to have children, but God worked through them in incredible ways to do great things through them in spite of that difficulty. If you're a veteran parent here today, and your kids or grandkids are adults who have left the church, and listen, this is important. All too often when we do these sermons that talk about the importance of parents as disciple makers for their kids, it leaves parents whose children have grown up and left the church feeling just beat up and bruised. I don't want that today. Uh, if this is you, if your adult children have left the church and you just are in agony over it, here's what you need to know. First of all, go listen to a sermon called My Page in God's Story. Uh, it's a sermon from January. Uh, this story encouraged uh, our adults with adult children to sit down and write their faith story as a legacy, a faith legacy that they can leave for their kids and grandkids. It may be that Jesus has a plan for your kids and it may not come in your lifetime, but you can be a part of it if you'll just write down your faith story and give it to them so that they can continue having that in the future. The other thing that you need to hear is this. You have to believe that God the Father loves your kids more than you do and wants them saved more than you do, and God does not give up. You have to believe it. And there's one of the other things that you need to know, that if there's things that you beat yourself up about as a parent, that you look back on the years that you were trying to raise your kids and do the best that you can to do whatever it was that you passed faith on to them, but you regret what you did now, and you beat yourself up about it as a parent, you have to believe that God has already forgiven you and that you should too. God's already forgiven you, and you should too. And I say all that to say that whatever family situation that, that you are in today, God is ready to meet you there and take you to the best place that he can for service in his kingdom and for making a difference in your family for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You know, but we aren't going to let the truth... The, the, the complexities of, of family life today are different than, than maybe what God wants and desires and the reality that God can work in all kinds of situations. We're still going to talk about how the most common way that people encounter God and live out their faith historically and today is in a family unit. And, and God has ordered our world that way. In fact, one of the first commands that he gives to Adam and Eve is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words, God tells Adam and Eve, start a family. And so we're going to talk about what it means to live within this, uh, this family unit that is kind of God-ordained, God-sanctioned, uh, and is commissioned to be a place where adults pass faith to their, their children. But when we talk about what it means to be a great parent, we have to ask the question, what does it mean to be a great parent? And I'll tell you, I, Leah and I were talking about this the other day, and I said, okay, what does it mean to be a great parent today? 
And you come up with things like we want our kids to clean their room, to do their homework, to be respectful at church and you know, eat most of two out of three meals. That would be fantastic. Parent of the year kind of a day. Uh, but if you zoom out a little bit more, what does it mean to be a great parent this month? Well, I want my kids to do kind of regular chores, maybe finish a science project at school, to try hard on the soccer team or to, to learn a new song on the piano or something that, that maybe is more of a, takes a month to do. I'd be a great parent. What would it take for me to be a great parent this year? I want my kids to get good grades at the end of the year, to move on to the next grade. I want parent-teacher conferences to be fun, not miserable. I want my kids to get recognized for something. I hope my kid doesn't go to detention this year. Uh, yearly goals. I hope we go on a vacation and, and really get some bonding time and make some good memories, that kind of stuff. What would it mean for me to be a great parent when my kid is 30 years old? They've got a career, a family, maybe they've just moved out of the basement. Uh, what would it be like if for me to be a great parent in 4,000 years? And suddenly the entire scope of the conversation changes. What would it mean for me to be a great parent in 4,000 years? For us to evaluate that, I want to look at another text. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 through 20. And here's what it says in this text. It says, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice, and hold fast to Him. I've set before you life and death. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and hold fast to Him. In 4,000 years, the only answer to the question is this. A great parent is one who leads their children into life and not death. The problem is that the eternal goal of leading our children to life and not death is really hard to bring into our daily goals. So we've got to find a way to get serious enough about the eternal goal of our kids' eternal life being a priority that we start putting our kids' eternal life and salvation into our weekly calendar. Our weekly calendar. We've got to take the eternal and make it daily practical. And, and at Northwest, here's what we're doing right now. There's four things that we're doing uh, right now and going forward to make it easy and make it lightly so that we can make it happen in your home that faith is impressed on your children so that you can accomplish the eternal goal of helping your children choose life and not death. The first thing that we're doing at Northwest is the Home Point Resource Center. The Home Point Resource Center, uh, you may have noticed in the foyer, uh, Sunday morning was filled with practical resources for families in all kinds of situations. It's not just parent stuff. There's stuff for marriages, for men, for women, for grandparents. Uh, there's all kinds of topics and there's going to be more to come You've got to check it out. Not only are those resources going to be there uh, to help you in all kinds of situations that come up uh, and all kinds of uh, family interactions that are there, uh, but there's also going to be several campaigns each year 
that are going to bring practical ways to do faith at home. And these will be done church-wide. So we may spend a couple of Sundays in, on, uh, on sermons, on teaching. We may incorporate them with Bible classes. Uh, but all ages are going to be challenged to interact in the home with the entire family in faith campaigns. These may be campaigns to help you pray together, to help you play together, help you talk to each other, help you read together. And listen, we don't want to guess what you need. One of the things that you've noticed in the bulletin uh, Sunday, and, and if you aren't here, uh, if you weren't there yesterday on Sunday, you can go get these in the church office. Uh, we have uh, appraisals, and these are faith at home appraisals uh, that ask you questions about how you're intentionally doing your marriage, how you're intentionally uh, practicing faith with your children. Uh, if you're pursuing the single life, it asks about how you're preparing for marriage or how you're preparing for a committed single life that's dedicated to work in the kingdom. Uh, it opens up questions for grandparents, and it's asking, what are some of the things you need in the home so that we as your family ministry team aren't just guessing what you need and, and kind of throwing it out there? We want to hear what you have to say. We want to see what the needs are in this congregation and develop campaigns around those needs that instill in you a commitment in your family in very practical ways to practice faith at home. Uh, if you get that appraisal, uh, we ask that you turn it in at the, the Home Point Resource Center at the church uh, by March 31st. The third thing we're doing at Northwest right now uh, to help practice faith at home in a way that is uh, easy, likely, and will happen is something called Faith Path. Uh, we know, just we know in our world, when a kid should start walking. We know when they should start talking, when they should start school and finish school. We know when they should start reading and when they should start learning math. But when should a kid start praying? When is a kid old enough to start giving at church? When should they start trying to determine their own spiritual gifts and how to use them? Uh, what Faith Path does is that every year on your kid's birth month, our family ministry team is going to send you a reminder to pick up that year's packet of resources that includes age-appropriate ways to instill faith in your kids at that specific age. The first one, the first packet, is the baby and child dedication packet. We're going to be giving that to several of our families who are doing that baby dedication today at Northwest. Uh, and the resources are going to help them think about their commitment to intentionally raise their kid and be faithful to Jesus, to choose life and not death, and do all the other things that we've been talking about in this sermon today. Today I want to light a fire uh, under the members of this congregation that makes every one of them jump up and yell, All right, we get it. We, we want to do this, but we don't know where to start. Which brings me to the fourth thing that we're doing at Northwest right now to make it easy, to make it likely, to make it happen. Uh, is this. Two weeks from Sunday, uh, on March 31st, we're going to have a parenting seminar uh, here at Northwest. It's going to be in the, the afternoon and evening from 3 to 7. Uh, it's low cost, babysitting is provided. Uh, but here's what, uh, what we're going to be doing. That afternoon, we're going to talk about how you can, at home, practice spiritual formation, how you can do things that will help to enhance and grow the spiritual formation of your children so that they can grow into spiritual champions. You know, a lot of times in the church we focus on, uh, on head knowledge, on Bible study, on conversation, on learning, on knowing, on, on remembering. Uh, but really when it comes to spiritual formation, we've also got to add in worship. We've got to add witness and testimony. We've got to add the emotional, relational side of it. 
Uh, we've got to add opportunities uh, for people to withdraw and practice prayer and silence and fasting and solitude. We've got to add uh, opportunities for people to get involved in social justice and service and mission and helping to make the world look more like what God wants it to look like and not the broken mess that we're so often confronted with. All of those areas are ways that God intends to shape us and mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. Those are the ways that we can be spiritually formed. So often we approach spiritual formation with one tool, and it's a four, five, six, seven, eight tool uh, ministry, opportunity, a, a way that God wants to shape us. Uh, parents, what we're going to do uh, at this seminar is we're going to talk about four different areas of spiritual formation that you can be doing in your home and let you think about how you need to be growing so that you can help grow your kids to be spiritual warriors for Jesus Christ. Uh, the, the seminar is going to have some good content. It's going to have even better community, lots of opportunities for sharing, for conversation, for communal growth. Uh, we're going to talk about the first steps to promote spiritual formation in your kids at home so they learn to love God with all their heart, mind, strength, and soul. As we move forward through this series, now, let me tell you something. If you think, you know, I, I live at home alone or uh, I'm a, you know, maybe you're a widow and you're thinking this just doesn't connect with me or maybe you're a college student and you're thinking this doesn't connect with me yet. Here's what you need to know. Next week we're talking about marriage, but marriage in scripture is most often a metaphor for God's love for the church. Uh, the week after that, uh, we're going to be talking about spiritual formation in the home uh, to lead into the parent seminar, but the reality is that every single one of us need to be practicing spiritual formation and growing closer through the work of the Spirit working in us and through us to become more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. So don't get discouraged if you think this doesn't really connect with you. Uh, this is really going to connect with you. Uh, we've got a lot coming up. Uh, the family ministry team has been working on this stuff for a long time. And let me tell you, if you really step forward uh, in faith, or if you even step forward uh, with hesitation, God's going to bless it. There's a lot of opportunities for you to really be shaping and impressing faith on your kids uh, in the coming weeks at Northwest, and I believe that this is going to be something that becomes part of our DNA as a congregation going forward for many, many years and makes a generational differences in the lives of our children and grandchildren if we're just willing to, to step up and be intentional about passing a faith worth sharing to kids who are desperate to know Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and the God that... that that sent him to save us. Uh, listen, uh, if you're here and you think, I'm not part of any family, God has set his church up to be a family. You need to be part of this church because this congregation, Northwest Church of Christ, is a family. If you've never made the decision and the commitment to be part of this family or the church family of Jesus, then just do it today during the invitation. And then after that, we're going to have the baby dedication. At that time, uh, yesterday, we offered the invitation and the song, and then we had our baby dedication, and we did what we've done in the past, which is uh, have a time for our shepherds to pray for uh, the kids as they came forward. We introduced them, blessed them, prayed for them, and had a great time uh, with the congregation doing that. And we gave each family uh, a jar. And if you've never been to the Northwest uh, child dedication. We give them a jar that contains 936 beads. Each one of those beads represents uh, one weekend 
that a parent has to influence and shape their child from birth to 18 years old. Our hope is that they'll set that on a shelf or a mantle and see it from time to time and remember that the number of weekends and opportunities that they have to shape their kids is limited and that they not take them for granted and get caught up in, in the busyness of life and the chaos of parenting, but that they would instead treasure each and every moment, each and every opportunity as a gospel moment, a kingdom moment, to make a difference in their kids' life today that might enable them someday, 4,000 years from now, to walk past you in heaven and for you to think, I'm so glad that I did everything that I could to impress faith on my child so that we can spend eternity together, having chosen life and not death. Thanks for listening to this recording. Uh, I hope it's been a blessing to you and that you find an opportunity to be with us at Northwest in the near future.